Hey there, welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 198. My name is Dr. Delane Vaughn. I'm a board certified family practitioner, a former emergency room nurse, a veteran healthcare provider, and the host of this podcast. This podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of their longevity, their vitality, and their vigor. It's for women who know that life is a gift they're not ready to start the downward spiral of letting it go. I think most of us realize when we get a diagnosis like type 2 diabetes or prediabetes that it's a warning shot to that gift of life that we have. And we're not ready to walk away from that. We want to stop it. The more we learn about diabetes, the more we realize this process really has to be reversed in order to maintain the spirit that's always been us. This podcast is dedicated to strategies to helping women do just that. So let's get started. Today, we are going to talk about cognitive distortions. I would like to make a couple disclaimers. One is the typical disclaimer I make about meds. But before that, I want to say I keep wanting to say social distortions. Social distortion was a band from the 90s, maybe the 80s, a punk rock band. I didn't really listen to a lot of them. If I say the word social distortions, I would love you to just immediately translate that into cognitive distortions, because no matter how hard I try, when I talk about this with clients, when I talk about this with others, I find myself frequently saying social distortions when I mean cognitive distortions. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how these cognitive distortions, these thought distortions really hinder us from creating what we want with our health. Before we get started, I always make a disclaimer about meds. If you are medicated for your type 2 diabetes, please be careful making the changes that I recommend in this podcast in these episodes. You've been medicated based on the way you've eaten in the past. If you start eating differently, you're going to need to have different medications. You're going to have to have your doctor or your medical provider guide you through that medication adjustment. So you need to call your provider. You need to tell them what you're doing, and you need to get a clear line of communication opened with them so that you can share your blood sugar logs and they can share with you adjustments that they want you to make to your medications to keep you safe. If you don't do this and you stay on your medications and change your diet, you can get very, very sick, hospitalization sick, and even death sick. Please, please be very careful and please contact your medical provider if you're going to make these changes. I also want to remind everybody, rate the podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast and you find that you're getting amazing results and you love what you're hearing and you're finding it incredibly helpful, the more people that rate it, the more this podcast gets put in front of others so they can get that same help. So if you're finding it helpful, please rate the podcast, review it. However, you're listening to it, each um, podcast player has a different rating and review system. If you would be so kind as to rate and review the podcast, that will help others get the same help. Also, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. There is a Facebook group. It's a private group called Delane MD Reversing Diabetes. Ask to join it. We'll get you in. Helpful, helpful, helpful community in there. Um, Lots of great souls that are willing to uh, share their journey with you and help you to, you know, realize you're not alone in this and that others understand the struggle. So we're going to talk about cognitive distortions. Where I see this coming up for my clients is in certain thoughts. They're common thoughts that my clients will quote unquote struggle with things like I already went off plan. I might as well, or I doubt I'm ever going to be able to figure this out. So why even try, or I can't do this long-term, so I'm not going to do it at all. Or I need something easier. I need something more exciting. Or people are going to judge me and think I'm weird because of how I eat. Okay. So there is a a concept in the arm of 
psychosocial sciences, like psychological sciences called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's CBT. It's a therapy technique that therapists use. I am not, I'm, I'm very superficially trained in this, um, through my medical training, but I'm aware of it. I'm familiar with it. Within this therapy technique, there is this concept called cognitive distortions. So cognitive distortions are described as a time when our brain, the human brain, takes an experience and assigns a meaning, a meaning, sorry, that's not aligned, that's not in alignment with the magnitude of the experience, okay? Frequently, there's an exaggeration. Sometimes there's irrational ideas, all of this leading to misinterpretation of the event. Many times this causes us to perceive a threat or it causes us to believe it's futile to continue to try, or at the very least, it leads to a misunderstanding of the event. These distortions, these cognitive distortions typically keep us in a safe place from trying to do the challenging work of growing and changing. It relieves us. We use these cognitive distortions as excuses to relieve ourselves from the challenge of learning and growing and becoming. So types, there's many, many types they'll talk about. Like if you look up cognitive distortions, you can get long, long lists of cognitive distortions. The types I'm going to talk about and use as examples today are overgeneralizations, all or nothing thinking, mental filtering, discounting positives, mind reading, and emotional reasoning. So overgeneralization is when you take one single bad event and you assume everything will always be bad like that. Everything is going to be just like that. You stub your toe in the morning and it's like the day is going to be horrible. All or nothing thinking is when you feel like you can't do it all, so you're not going to do any. Like, I can't be perfect, so why even bother? I can't do all of it, so why even bother? All or nothing. This is typically, again, something that we see with perfectionists or perfectionism. If we can't do it perfectly, why even try? Mental filters is when you're only seeing one side of a situation, usually filtering out out the positive component of the situation and dwelling on the negative component. Discounting the positives. This is not assigning accountability to yourself for the positive things, the positive results that show up in your life. It's chalking them up to something other than you. It's a fluke or we just got lucky those sorts of um, phrases and thoughts that we hear out of our brain. That's discounting the positives. Mind reading is assuming that you understand or know what somebody else is thinking. And then emotional reasoning is believing that your feelings are accurately reflecting the reality of a situation. So I'm going to go through each of these in a non-emotive, non-food example. And then I am going to go through food examples with this. So an example that I've used a lot is a a boss giving constructive feedback in a performance review. So if your boss writes on your performance review or says in that interview that most people go through, you know, when you get your yearly review, you sit down with your boss and you have a meeting and they go through the performance review. If your boss says, I've seen a, a pattern of you handing in your component, your parts of the projects right at deadline. This isn't allowing other people, your colleagues, your coworkers to make edits or alterations to their components of the product or of the projects prior to deadline. It would be better for the organization as a whole if you start getting your parts in 24 hours prior to the deadline. Okay. Some people will feel this makes total sense and take it at face value and begin completing their work and their parts of the project just earlier. 
However, cognitive distortions will alter this experience and then our behaviors in a way that keeps us from growing into a better employee is really what it comes down to. So an overgeneralization of this example is the boss is unhappy with this area of my work. He must be unhappy with all of my areas of work. This will make an employee feel feel bad, feel, you know, underappreciated, feel, you know, disappointed in themselves, but certainly it leads to disengagement from their work. And again, this will relieve the employee from the challenging work of learning to manage their schedule effectively. It allows them to avoid the changes that your boss requested by just assuming that the boss is unhappy with everything and feeling underappreciated and disengaging from work. All or nothing thinking in this situation. The boss said I need to improve in this one area. And if I can't show up as a star employee, then I'm not going to show up again. I'm not going to show up at all. Again, this may lead to disengaging behaviors or changing other areas that the boss did not want the employee to change, right? So disengaging, I'm not interacting with my coworkers as much, and I don't really enjoy my job anymore. So I'm not going to show up until maybe five or 10 minutes after I should be there, right? Suddenly there is this, you know, I'm not doing a good job. And since I can't do the best job, I'm not going to do any job. And they really just disengage. Okay. This again, keeps the employee from growing in the one place that they really did need to grow was how to be a team player and show up in a way for these projects that really helps the company out. Right. When we have this belief and we disengage, then it keeps us from addressing those issues discounting the positives. This is something we see frequently. You know, the employee may believe that, oh gosh, I've been doing this wrong. I bet we've just barely been getting the job done. I bet that it's only by the grace of God that nothing's gotten missed along the way. It's only by luck, right? We're chalking up the things that are working to luck, to a fluke, to something else, not to our behaviors. Okay. This frequently leads to confusion and trying random things without any kind of rational problem-solving approach, you feel badly. You feel badly because you don't think you're doing a good job. You're not seeing where you're doing a good job. And of course, you're being wrapped up in that part and that feeling and that thought and that cognitive distortion keeps you from investing the time into actually dealing with the component that the boss did tell you, which is I need you to hand in your stuff earlier. So you're going to need to manage your schedule a little more effectively. Mental filters. The boss may have praised the employee on five other areas, but of course the employee filters out those praises and can only hear the, you know, constructive criticism he gave. And then of course you over-focus and you mentally emphasize that negative part. That's negatively, you know, that's mentally filtering out the positives and over-focusing on the negatives. And of course, when you, any mental feel, filters really just make you feel worse. And of course you want to disengage and you're not taking the opportunity to grow from that, um, that constructive criticism that was given. Mind reading, this is one we're going to go into with the food quite a bit because I do think that this is a huge thing with food. Mind reading is when the employee believes, might believe from this situation with the um, yearly review that all my coworkers and my boss think I'm a bad and rude 
employee or coworker because I hand in work at the last minute and they must be so frustrated with me. And of course, from that fearful or disappointed in herself, we don't engage with colleagues. We don't collaborate on projects. Again, relieving us from taking on the challenge of just managing our calendar more effectively and working on workflow strategies. And then lastly, emotional reasoning. This is a big one. I think that most of us are familiar with this. Emotional reasoning looks like after you receive the feedback or the constructive criticism from the boss, then you feel so badly, so embarrassed, so ashamed, so um, dis, you know, you may feel like your work isn't appropriately recognized, whatever it might be, that you feel so horribly, you leave work and you go home early. Again, disengaging and taking a pass on figuring out the scheduling component that the boss is really just trying to get you to figure out. So most of these cognitive distortions will have a secondary gain associated with them. And that secondary gain is really avoiding the discomfort, the difficult work, the challenge, okay? A lot of times this allows for buffering. We avoid those things by buffering. And I've talked about buffering. Buffering is a behavior that we take on to try to make ourselves feel better, an external behavior that we try to take on to make our feel, ourselves feel better. Taking a warm bath, to feel better is a form of buffering that most people can manage and don't get into a lot of trouble with. Other forms of buffering that we usually have bigger issues with are going to be things like food or wine or alcohol or um, shopping or social media, right? The difference between these kind of buffering that kind of cause a problem and buffering that doesn't cause a problem, nobody usually has a problem from taking too many baths. But some, sometimes we definitely have a problem from eating too much food or drinking too much wine or spending too much on shopping or spending hours on social media, right? So that buffering behavior, usually we're doing one of those very easy to make us feel better behaviors, food, drinking, um, shopping, social media, those sorts of things. So how these cognitive distortions show up with our food, we see overgeneralization Overgeneralization is something I guess that I see with my clients pretty frequently. Overgeneralizations are typically fraught with alls and everythings or nothings, right? So don't eat carbs. All the carbs are bad. You should never have any carbs. Carbs are what cause my diabetes. This is what I hear from my clients. We overgeneralize one concept or exaggerate one thing making it so challenging to comply with that generalization and so uncomfortable that we justify giving up. That's where it keeps us sick. That's where it's a problem. Are carbohydrates a problem? I mean, they can be, but you and I both know the carbohydrates that come in a carrot and the carbohydrates that come in a Pop-Tart are not the same experience. Nobody got diabetic from carrots. Maybe we got diabetic from Pop-Tarts though. So all carbs are not bad, right? It's just certain carbs probably made you sick with type 2 diabetes, okay? When we overgeneralize, we relieve ourselves from having to do the hard work of learning how to eat. We justify giving up, okay? All or nothing mentality. Where I see this show up is, you know, all or nothing mentality is fraught with things like always is, is it nevers and bests and worsts, right? So this is like, I've eaten one cookie. I've gone off plan. I'm never going to be able to figure it out. I might as well eat the whole bag, right? 
How many times do people come to me and they say to me, I want to learn to eat like a normal person. I want to have a normal relationship with food. If we're doing this all or nothing mentality and like you're having this all or nothing mentality in response to a single cookie, it keeps you from doing the more challenging work of learning to just eat one cookie. It makes us feel justified in giving up. Okay. It keeps us from doing the challenging work of growing into a woman who doesn't have type two diabetes. When we look at mental filtering. So this is when we do things like, oh, I've done so well staying on plan for the last few weeks or staying on my protocol for the last few weeks. But Saturday I was off plan all day. We make it mean this cognitive distortion is that I'm never going to get back on plan. I'm never going to get back with the program. Again, we all want to learn how to master eating without relying on the tool of a protocol or a plan. And we want to do it in an, a controlled and intentional manner. But then we come back to the plan and can continue our progress. That's what we want to learn how to do, right? We have an what I call an excursion eat, something that's just not typical for us. But then immediately we come back to the plan. We don't have the spell of time. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't seem to get back on plan. We don't want that part. That part happens because we're on, we're not willing to do the uncomfortable work, partly because we're relying so heavy on that plan. And when it goes to practicing going without the plan, it's uncomfortable and it's scary and it feels awkward and sometimes hard. Instead of allowing ourselves to just practice and learn, we overemphasize the off-plan component. So you have a weekend of off-plan eating. It doesn't negate the weeks of unplanned eating, right? This is a mental filter. You're seeing the negative and you're giving it more emphasis, more importance than the rest of the experience, which if you actually look at quantity, there's more of the positive experience than there is of the negative experience. When we do this, it gives us a pass to not get back on plan and stay off, okay? Discounting the positives. I see this a lot. My fasting blood sugars have went from being in the 140s to being in the 120s. I'm not sure why this happened. I don't even know that it's enough. That tells us that like creates a feeling of confusion. We don't look at and appropriately reconcile the things that we're doing with the results that we're getting. This is a block from learning how to do more of that thing that is working, how to like pivot that thing that's working into being more so that you can figure out how to get your blood sugars even lower. It alleviates you from the responsibility and the accountability in your life. It doesn't give us the opportunity to recognize and acknowledge what we're doing and how we can continue to grow. It's really hard to take control of our lives and control of our results if we can't make that reconciliation. It gives us a pass not to do the difficult work because you're not responsible for the results you're getting, okay? This is why discounting the positives does not work for us. Mind reading, this is such a good one. This is one I wanna spend some time with. This is one I see in myself and I see it with my clients a lot. It's one, it's pervasive in a very specific way. Or at least I see it in one specific way with almost all of my clients. It's an issue in other ways, but I'm going to discuss this specific example and try to deconstruct it. So the thought is, I always eat the wrong things when I'm out with friends because I don't want them to look at me. 
I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want to be special. I don't want to require special foods. I don't want to stand out or ask for any substitutions. Have you ever said this? Has this ever been familiar to you? This is a form or this is mind reading. This is what we're doing. We believe that we know what somebody else is thinking about us and about our food choices. So I want to throw this out for you guys. I'm pretty sure it's the very rare occasion where your friend says, oh my God, I cannot believe that you're eating salad and chicken instead of pizza. I hope that it's rare that when you're out with your friends, that one of your friends stands up on a chair, probably a tall chair, raises her hands in the air and says, oh my God, everyone look at Susie's chicken salad. Can you believe that she's eating that and not the pizza? I doubt anyone has ever said, gee, Susie, I can't believe you're asking them to leave the croutons off your salad. Or man, Susie, some kids are starving in third world countries. I can't believe you've asked them to not give you your croutons. Ladies, if this is happening for you, I want you to reconsider your friend group. I want to encourage you to end those friendships. Like maybe those friendships have come to their time. They're, they're done. And maybe it's time to get new friendships. Because this is like, it's not something friends, loving friends typically do to each other. Okay. We assume those thoughts. We assume those things. People don't actually say it. We believe that we know what they're thinking. It makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel maybe a little embarrassed. It makes us feel conspicuous. And we act as if it's true even when it's not really based on anything anybody's ever said to us or any evidence that we have. The belief in this cognitive distortion keeps us from working through the awkwardness of asking the wait staff to hold the croutons or sub the mashed potatoes for steamed veggies. It keeps us from practicing the skills that are going to allow you to grow into the woman who lives free of type 2 diabetes, okay? I see this one particularly, and I see it and again, almost every single one of my clients. And it's very easy for me to be like, oh, again, these distortions are so clear when you like deconstruct them. I'm like, your friends don't just like you because of what you eat when you're out with them. Like, you know that. If they did, you wouldn't be friends with them. So my suspicion is most of us have very sincere friendships and that those friends love you regardless of what you eat. They also don't want to be the reason that you continue to eat foods that are going to cut years off your life, okay? So see that cognitive distortion for what it is. It gives you a pass to keep from working on those skills and to avoid the foods that are making you sick. Emotional reasoning is the last example I'm going to give. So where I see this is you, my client will get a high blood sugar and then they immediately feel bad and hopeless. They feel like it's hopeless and futile to continue to try. They get futility. They get hopelessness. Because those feelings feel so awful, a lot of times that ends up in this like um, buffering behavior. Like you end up with bag of Oreos in your lap. Of course, that makes you feel worse. You feel hopeless and you choose to believe that the situation is hopeless. You apply your feeling as an accurate representation of the situation. You don't just say that you're feeling badly or you're feeling hopeless. You say the situation is hopeless. You define yourself and the situation as hopeless. This is very similar to a concept I call linguistic space, which I've talked about in the podcast before. 
But when we do this, we take the emotion that we're having and it actually inflates the emotion. It makes it bigger. Instead of learning to identify just that you're feeling this way and learning the hard skill of not defining yourself with the way that you feel, we resist the emotion, we look to food, and it keeps us from growing. And of course, since it's hopeless versus feeling hopeless, you never learn to not match that emotion with Oreos. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us diabetic. Okay. So these emotional or these cognitive distortions are kind of in line with these self-sabotaging behaviors I've spoken about recently. Usually these thoughts and self-sabotaging behaviors are done. They're performed in the interest of avoiding something uncomfortable or creating a sense of control that we don't actually have. These distortions do the same thing. Both of these things do the same thing. They're protective mechanisms, guys. I hate even using self-sabotaging behaviors. Once I realized that self-sabotaging behaviors are really just ways that our brain are really trying to protect us and hold us and keep us safe and comfortable, it feels mean to give them that mean label of self-sabotaging. They aren't self-sabotaging behaviors. They're just strategies that we are practiced for a very long time and use very well in order to make ourselves feel better, okay? The same thing with these cognitive distortions. When we allow all or nothing thinking or overgeneralizations or discounting the positives or mind reading or emotional reasoning, it gives us a pass from doing the work, from sitting with cravings, from sitting with uncomfortable emotions. With It gives us a pass from doing the work of like, standing up strong for ourselves, even if somebody judges us in a way we don't like. It keeps us stuck eating the same old foods that are making us sick. We allow this in order to avoid the discomfort of changing our ways. So how do we change this? One, number one, number one, number one, start labeling your thoughts as the distortions that they are. Start labeling the thoughts as the distortions that you're using. If you're not sure if this is a distortion, find a trusted friend to have a discussion with and say, Hey, is my thought process right here? Am I really awful all the time? They said I was awful in this one way. Am I really awful all the time? They gave me this piece of advice. Is it really the only thing, or am I doing this mental filtering and only seeing that piece of advice or that piece of constructive criticism and not seeing the positives that I did also? Okay. Have somebody to bounce it off of that you trust, okay? Start labeling what's going on for what it really is, is a distortion. And then answer the question of how does this distortion serve me? That's step two. How am I, is this helping me? How is this something that I've been using to create something in my life? And then I want you, the third step, to challenge the thought, challenge the distortion. A couple of different things you can look at. I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself to help you dig deeper. One, think about sharing, again, sharing this with a confidant and getting a different perspective from them. Okay. If you're like, I'm just never going to get this. And their different perspective is like, girl, you've been doing it for two weeks. Why do you think you're going to master it in two weeks? That's, that's probably a reasonable perspective to have. Okay. Look for exceptions to the distorted thought. Okay. See both sides of the situation. 
The other part is be very precise in your wording, right? I'm never going to get this or it's been two weeks and I've made improvements here, but I still would like to improve here, right? Instead of I'm never going to get this, which is just a blanket thought that makes you feel horrible, okay? Try to consider the opposite. What is it going to look like when I get this? What is it going to look like when I'm doing this different? How could it look like me doing it different right now? And if I believed that, if I believed that was possible for me, what actions would that that thought drive, that thought and feeling drive? Think about how your life would be different if you let go of the distortion, especially if it feels really sticky, like you want to hold to it. Consider how your life would be different if you let go of it. And then once you've considered all of this, what the distortion does for you and maybe how life would be different if it wasn't there, you just get to choose what you want to do. How do you want to think and act differently? That's really what it comes down to. So this podcast with this discussion regarding, you know, the beliefs, you know, we've altered and broken down these beliefs so that you can see what, what it's getting for you. Do understand that the healthcare industry has led women to believe that they are broken, that they are genetically defective. And that's why they have diabetes. And I believe this is such a disservice. This is the worst of the, of the, uh, cognitive distortions. Okay. This thought is a lie. I want you to consider what changes would happen with your health. If you stopped eating that food that you really struggle with, whatever your poison is, if it's pizza, ice cream, candy, sodas, whatever, how would your health change? If you stopped eating those foods, those foods were not in your body. Would you still be genetically defective and sick with type two diabetes? If your answer, the answer that comes in your head is, oh, no, 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 it wouldn't be a problem then. If that's your answer is, oh, no, 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 then this is the work that we do. These are the works that the work that we do to work on the thoughts to fix your type two diabetes. I encourage you to set up a consult if that's what you need to do. We have to deprogram some of these thoughts in our brain that are leading to the results that we've gotten up to this point. If I believe that somebody's looking at me and my friends are watching me at a restaurant every time I make the choice to eat a salad and chicken, and I believe that I have to deprogram that. And these processes, looking at cognitive distortions and how to stop them are the way that we do this. If your answer to the question about the foods that make us sick are, yes, I do believe that I'm still genetically defective and sick with type 2 diabetes, I want you to reach out to me. I would love to set up some time to chat. That belief is 99.9% of the time, not true, not true. Almost all of our type two diabetes is caused by the food that we eat. There is the opportunity to fix this. It is possible to not sit in Jones for junk food that makes you sick all the time. It's possible to learn another way. It's possible even if you've cut those foods out to learn other strategies to reverse your type two diabetes, we can fix this. If that's something you're interested in, please send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to set you up for a consult. I hope you found this helpful. Start naming those cognitive distortions that you throw out. Start seeing how they serve you to keep you from doing the hard work and decide whether you want them to be the reason that you don't reverse your diabetes. I will be back next week. Bye-bye.